Welcome to the Tell Us Something podcast. I'm Mark Moss. Tell Us Something awakens imagination, empowers storytellers, and connects the Missoula community through the transformative power of personal storytelling. It is a celebration of each other, our stories, and how we move through the world together. All of the stories at Tell Us Something are true. Stories last for 10 minutes and are told from memory. Everyone is welcome to tell a story. The community comes together for a night of true personal stories, shared live, focused on a theme. Everyone has a story. What's yours? The next Tell Us Something is December 12th. The theme is Getting Away With It, and we are taking story pitches now. Call the pitch line to pitch your story. 406-203-4683. The submission deadline is October 21st. After the submission deadline, the Tell Us Something Advisory Board will listen to all of the pitches and let you know next steps if you are selected to share your story. Get those pitches in now. Getting away with it. 406-203-4683. All right, let's get to this week's story. This episode of the Tell Us Something podcast was recorded in front of a live audience on September 10th 2017 at the Wilma in Missoula, Montana. Eight storytellers shared their story on the theme, Up the Blackfoot. A routine day floating the Big Blackfoot River in a sturdy boat during high water soon turns into a rescue ordeal for Tina Sverin and her family. Her story is called Rip Rap. Thanks for listening. So it was the day before Father's Day in 2008. It was a Saturday. And my husband, myself, and our friend Stephen Teresa, along with their son Caleb, who was six years old at the time, were going to take our raft out on the Blackfoot. And we floated the Blackfoot many, many, many times. And so because it was in early June, the water was running really fast, very high, we decided that we should probably put in at John's Rood and float down to the old Bonner Way station off of Highway 200. That way, that stretch of the river, we were least likely to run into obstacles that could really pose a dangerous situation to us. We had a kid with us, after all, and we want to be safe. So it was a beautiful day. I mean, the sky was blue, the sun was warm, Warm, the water was crisp. It was quite refreshing, actually. And you could kind of see little white caps, you know, on the water the whole way down. It was moving really quickly. So we pulled over after we'd been on the river for a little while. We pulled over at Rainbow Bend to get out, let Caleb stretch his legs, just kind of enjoy ourselves and kind of try to extend the length of this journey because it was going really quickly. And we decided after we'd stopped there, you know, the water's going to pick up here in a little bit. Maybe we should find one more spot to stop just so the journey isn't over so quickly. It could have been over in an hour. And after you put all that work in, getting your gear together and getting on the water and shuttling vehicles, we wanted to make it last a little bit longer. So right before the river really, really started to pick up, we found a nice little shady bank full of nice wet sand. And we stopped there for a while. We played with Caleb, built sand castles. I remember covering his little feet with sand and you know, running in the river and washing them off, not too far in the river, because it was moving fast and it was very deep. And after a while, I look up and we start to notice there's several other parties of rafters going by. You know, one person, two people. In the midst of all of this are these two ladies, and they're paddling just furiously in this little tiny two-man raft. And it was like one of those rafts that you used to see outside a sportsman's surplus all the time, little like $100. They were called, like I think, the fish hunter. And... <laughs> 
To put things into perspective, we're in a heavy-duty 14-foot raft with four able-bodied adults paddling it. And they're in this little tiny two-man raft. And I looked at my husband and I said, what are they doing? They're going to flip that boat. That boat should not, they shouldn't be on the water in a boat like that right now. And there wasn't anything we could do about it, you know? So after some more time passed, we saw several other groups of people go by, one after another. And we decided, okay, well, it's time. We should probably pack up and, and get back on the water ourselves. We came around this corner, and we were going through a little set of rapids that was kind of turned into a big set of rapids because of how high the water was and how fast it was moving. And I look up. And clinging to the riprap is a woman in a life jacket. And I looked at her and I said, do you need help? And all she could do was scream, help, help, help me, help me. And so Eric and Steve are in the back of the raft. Teresa and I are up front with Caleb. And they turned that boat and cut across those rapids with so much strength that Steve's wooden oar snapped in half. And he looks and he yells at me, oar down, oar down. So I toss him mine and I grab the extra one that we had up front, the little shorty one, and we're doing the best that we can to get across the water. Well, there's no bank to pull off on. It's all boulders stacked up against a road cut. There's no bank. There's no trees to tie your boat to. So I get out of the front of the raft, and there I am kind of precariously balancing one foot on these rocks, one foot on the raft while I'm trying to grab for the lead, while Eric and Steve scramble out of the back of the raft in chest-deep water to go help this woman. And they got up to her and literally had to pry her fingers off the riprap and physically carry her down to our raft. And when she got there, there was no way she was going to get in. So I'm not getting in another boat. And we said, listen, the only way to get out of this situation is you're either going to come in our boat or you're going to swim. Because there's nowhere, to, there's nowhere to walk. There's no path. You can't climb up there. The highway was, I mean, it had to be 20, 30 feet above us. And we finally convinced her to get in the raft. And she sat down next to me and she grabbed my hand. And she looks at me and she goes, can I throw up now? <laughs> I said, you can do whatever you need to do, but please do it over the side. <laughs> and after we got her calmed down, she was able to collect herself a little bit and tell us what happened. And she and her sister had gone through just above us, that same area, and their boat flipped. And while she was a very, very strong and able-bodied swimmer, she didn't remember swimming. She didn't remember swimming across the water. She didn't remember getting to where she was. But more importantly and more pressing was the fact that she didn't know where her sister was. Nobody did. And I looked at her and I said, we're going to find your sister. The next stop down the river is Marco Flats. It's a nice little river access there. I said, we'll flag down a car. We'll find someone with a phone. We'll do something. We will get help. We will find your sister. And I don't really know how much time went by at that point. It could have been five minutes. It could have been 20 minutes. It really, time didn't really exist at that point. But I looked at her and I said, was your sister wearing a red life jacket? And she said, yes. And she started searching the water. And I said, no, look. And up on the grassy knob, right before the highway goes down to Marco Flats, is a woman in a red life jacket holding a kayaking paddle, jumping up and down. <laughs> and I said, we have your sister. We have your sister. So we pulled over, and she came running down. And I, they cried. We all cried. And her sister said, I called your husband, I called my husband, I called, the, I called 911. 
And the lady that was with us grabbed Eric by one arm and she grabbed Steve by the other and she said, these guys, these guys right here are my 911. And so after a little while, we decided, okay, we'll let you guys get on. And we helped her sister dump the water out of that little two-man raft. And how she was able to navigate that boat, it was completely filled, like an overflowing bathtub full of water. How she was able to get it there, I will never know. And the rest of the float, getting down to the way station, none of us really talked much. It was a lot of energy. We were processing a lot of what had happened. And ordinarily, on a day like that, when we all go floating together, we would be saying, whose house are we gonna grill at tonight? Where are we gonna barbecue? What are we gonna do? But by the time we got our vehicles shuttled around, got our raft loaded up, everything, nobody mentioned anything. We, we went our separate ways that day. And we went home, and I remember Eric and I being totally wiped out and exhausted and like still shocked at what had happened. And so now it is like nine years later, and as I'm telling you guys this story, I can't remember their names. I don't really remember what their faces look like. I remember their hair. They both had the same shade of brown hair, one wore it long, one wore it short. But that's all I really remember about them physically. But every single time I drive up Highway 200 and I come around that bend in the road, I look down at the river and it's like, brings me right back. And I'm so incredibly grateful that we chose that stretch of the river that day at that time on that Saturday before Father's Day in 2008. Thank you. Thanks, Tina. Tina Sverin has spent most of her life living in the Missoula and Bitterroot Valleys. She is an active participant in community theater in her home of Stevensville. Together with her husband, son, and dog, she spends as much time as possible hiking, rafting, camping, and taking in all of Montana's breathtaking landscapes. Remember, your story matters. If you enjoyed this story, please share it with your friends on your favorite social media sites. Thanks. Tell Us Something is proud to be fiscally sponsored by Missoula Community Foundation, a 501c3 organization. Missoula Community Foundation has been providing leadership to Missoula nonprofits and inspiring long-term philanthropy in Missoula since 2007. For the good of Missoula, forever. MissoulaCommunityFoundation.org. Thanks to all of our sponsors, Gecko Designs, the creative crew at Gecko makes killer logos. Not like Serial Killer, but better than any you've seen on a cereal box. They build beautifully mobile-friendly websites for both large and small clients in Missoula and around the country. Gecko has been doing it for two and one-tenth decades. That's 21 human years and 336 gecko years. I've met the team and can tell you that they're not as slimy as real lizards. When you're ready to get serious about your marketing, put a Liz in your biz. Visit the Gecko Designs team on North Higgins or online at geckodesigns.com. Logjam Presents. Logjam Presents is committed to creating a superior live entertainment experience through world-class production, state-of-the-art venues, and superior guest services. Headquartered in Missoula, Montana, Logjam Presents is an independent and privately owned live entertainment company. Logjam is the exclusive operator and promoter of the 4,000-capacity Kettlehouse Amphitheater, the 1,500-capacity Wilma, and the 550-capacity Tata Lounge. Working in close partnership with these venues, Logjam has created a unique artist and concert-goer experience 
experience that is unmatched in the Northwest. Logjampresents.com. Cabinetparts.com, the number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Anyone searching for the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price needs to go to Cabinetparts.com. Cabinetparts.com, in business since 1997, combines knowledgeable hardware specialists with the best online shopping experience nationwide. With fast and easy ordering, free hinge matching service, and same-day shipping, CabinetParts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. The Bookstore at the University of Montana, a local bookstore serving as students, faculty, and staff of the University of Montana, as well as the Missoula community. MontanaBookstore.com. Fact and Fiction, where books, authors, ideas, and readers interact. FactandFictionBooks.com. The Good Food Store. Supporting Western Montana farmers and ranchers for almost 50 years, the Good Food Store supports the local folks creating their own beer, salsa, baked goods, ice cream, and more. The Good Food Store is a passionate supporter of Missoula nonprofits, supporting multiple organizations, events, and fundraisers every year. Learn more at GoodFoodStore.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company. Locally owned and operating four stations, including The Trail 103.3, Missoula's Quality Rock and part of our unique Western Montana community, featuring local DJs who love Missoula and know their music. Jack FM 105.9, playing what they want. U 104.5 FM, your at-work listening station. And ESPN 102.9, focusing on city, state, and regional sports, giving exposure and insight to teams and athletes in and around Western Montana. Learn more at MissoulaBroadcasting.com. Martin McCain, Woodworks and Design. If you're looking for custom, modern, or mid century cabinetry and furniture to fit your home, check out Martin's work on Instagram. He's at Martin underscore McCain underscore Woodworks over there and Martin McCain 79 on Pinterest. You can always friend up with him on Facebook because if he's doing work for you, it's pretty likely you'll become friends. Facebook.com slash Martin McCain Woodworks. Missoula Federal Credit Union. Missoula Federal Credit Union is a locally owned banking not-for-profit financial cooperative. They put their members' funds to work in ways that provide benefits to people the local economy, and the environment. That's belonging, and belonging is the new banking. MissoulaFCU.org Enlightened Lab Float Center Enlightened Lab is a spa featuring sensory deprivation or floating as a wellness therapy. Unplug, reset, and recharge in their state-of-the-art float tanks. Learn more at EnlightenedLab.com That's E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com Thanks to Cash for Junkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at Cash for Junkers Music. If you're interested in sponsoring Tell Us Something, email me at mark at tellussomething.org. That's M-A-R-C at tellussomething.org. Podcast production by Mark Moss. Thank you to everyone who attends the events, those of you who download the podcast, and most especially to the storytellers. Sandy Super, Lisa Tripke, Wendy Woolett, Tina Sverin, Sarah Elkins, Juanita Vero, Jay Dixon, and Jerry O'Connell. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Check the website to find out how you can tell your own story. Tellussomething.org.
Thank you.